This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to John Richardson and the Future Notes. It's episode two, it's Prime Minister number two, but we are consistent. Britain is collapsing around us, the world is collapsing, but the Future Notes are strong and stable. And they are Mr. Mark Stevenson Hello. and Mr. Ed Gillespie. Yeah, strong and stable like Theresa May. Thank you for that, that analogy, John. <laughs> I tell you what is strong and stable. We're two episodes in and you've got our names right both times. This is definitely an advancement on the other series. And the right episode. I knew what episode it was. I'm finally <laughs> becoming slick. <laughs> too late. So whereabouts in the world are you and what have you been up to since last we met? You teased Mark Stevenson earlier that you'd been being rude to billionaires. Yes, I've been being rude to everybody about climate, really. I've been all over the place. I was speaking to all the CEOs of all the insurance companies in Latin America. And I explained to them that they'd done their job properly, wouldn't have a climate crisis because, you know, you're supposed to understand risk and you can't insure against hurricanes and then insure a coal-fired power plant, you stupid cunts. Um, (laughs) that must have been quite a short talk went on like that for about an hour they were absolutely devastated by the end of it but at the end of it you know it worked one guy came up to me CEO of a big company gave me his card he said I'm giving you my card not because I want you to contact me because I want you to remember my name because I want you to look me up in three years time because today is the day that changed my life so you know that was quite a good result and then I went off to MIT (laughs) gave a lecture to some billionaires there which is always a bit of a dream of mine to lecture at MIT so I did that and yesterday I was chatting to some of the richest business owners in Europe, gave them an absolutely horrible time about climate and their complicity in it. And uh, yeah, just generally going around being insulting to people who should really know better and tell them to get their finger out. So that's what I've been doing and preparing for tour because my band is on tour in two weeks, I think. So after this, I'm off to rehearsal. Excellent. Yeah, we can argue and debate about which of those propositions has the bigger impact on the planet. but yeah, Or the one that upsets people the most. <laughs> yeah. I think Quantum Pig wants to be like the Bill and Ted of the future. You know, it's like creating the harmonious song that unites all of humanity in one tune. Maybe we could take one of your poems, Ed, and put it to... No, that's a stupid idea. <laughs> Ed. What have you been up to? Slightly humbler than Mark, you know, in so many ways. But no, I've been talking to Norwich's Business Improvement District. I've been hyper-local, actually. And then I was talking to them about their net zero journey along similar lines. Although I did quite like the fact that they've got a sort of circular economy initiative, which was about matching waste between different businesses, you know, to sort of close the loop on some of their waste streams. And they wanted to call the service Binder, which I thought was genius. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then I got invited back for the fifth time in a row to give the annual Norfolk Constructing Excellence lecture. So I said to them, I said, either the field is very thin here, which is why you keep inviting me back, or the message is starting to land and you want it reinforced, or you're just total masochists because you just love being told off. But yeah, that was great. And I've been making cider. I've uh, just made 75 litres of homemade cider off my apple tree on the allotment. And I'm also about to um, press go on poetry collection number two. I'm just doing it purely to wind Mark up now. It's definitely worked. I'm already furious. It's worked. But it's funny you were saying, John, about, you know, second episode, second PM, because my poor old mum has had a bit of memory failure. So we had to get a test to check if it was early onset dementia. And one of the questions in the test is, who is the prime minister? And I was like, <laughs> I'd say that's really low. <laughs> Most of the rest of us are struggling to remember that one, let alone if you've got memory loss and early onset dementia. Yeah. Did you think there's a whole bunch of people who think they might have gone mad because they keep turning on the news <laughs> yeah. and going like, clearly this can't be real. I've obviously lost it. <laughs> Perhaps they should change it to why is the Prime Minister? And at least oh. we could all have a stab at that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I say since we started doing this podcast, never has the news agenda been so dominated by the sort of things we talk about. So you've got the Just Stop Oil protest mm. going on. You've got constant dialogue about how we reform the voting system so we don't have one partially voted for party in power for five years. You've got Elon Musk's takeover and, and him describing Twitter as a community town square, which I'm sure we'll have previous guests of ours absolutely seething. And yet it doesn't feel like any of these topics are actually moving forward. But is the fact that they are front and centre of every news outlet and discourse, is that a cause for celebration in itself? Well, it's a good question. I mean, like if Twitter is the town square, the fact that it is in absolute meltdown is probably reflective of where our sort of public discourse is. And, you know, sometimes in order to really radically change stuff, you have to break things. And I think the tensions that are emerging around all of the protests, you know, where people are now furious about the disruption. And I understand the antagonism that's sometimes generated by those tactics. But I tend to take a step back with my audiences and ask them open questions like, what do you think is driving these people? What is it that they understand and feel that makes them prepared to put their life and liberty on the line? And and as an example, I mean, a friend of mine was down the pub the other day and she was having a chat with a guy she just met at the bar who then started spouting some stuff along the lines of the small boats invasion along the south coast, basically parroting a sort of Bruella Braverman type of narrative. And Alice just said to him, she said, well, you've got kids. Now, what would drive you to actually get into a rubber dinghy with your wife and your two children to try and cross the channel? And she said the guy burst into tears because he'd never actually taken that step of empathy to put himself in those people's shoes. And I think empathy is one of our you know, most powerful weapons, and it's often missing from that media furore and narrative. And I think we need to tap much more deeply into that empathetic type of notion and to try and understand what is driving these people. That was lovely. I didn't answer John's question, I did what it. Was John- <laughs> oh, which is what? I did like it. Well, I had the opposite experience of the Just Stop Oil process, that I was caught in that traffic jam, but I was in the back of a car with a driver the front and i tell you what if you want a rational conversation about just a pole protest probably best not to have it with someone who drives for a living in the london area no <laughs> mark what do you make of where we're at at the moment and the constant 
dialogue we seem to be having about how we make the future better. Well, I mean, these are all symptoms of the massive breakdown that's happening all around us. You know, as I keep saying, all of our systems are not fit for purpose, but we keep trying to use them to solve the problems we've got and they're clearly not working. So, you know, you're going to get a load more of this friction coming out and a load more of this disagreement. There's going to be a lot of heat and a lot of light. And at some point we'll make our way through it, but it's going to be like this, I think, for the next 10 or 15 years until we finally work out what the hell we're doing. So, yeah, I see this as kind of like this is the tone of the age and get used to it. All oh, right. Yeah, and we say it's all bad, but I mean, the other thing that's been big in in my life is I've just welcomed a couple of Ukrainians to come and live with us, and obviously that just puts everything in context. Yes. Did they want to come? Did they want to come. <laughs> yes. I haven't smuggled them in under some kind of kidnapping regime. No. Yeah. So you know, it feels like everything's falling apart, but it's not as bad as it is for others. I saw a headline yesterday about Ukrainians that had been welcomed here at the start of the crisis who are now going back because this country is in such turmoil. <laughs> and I, I wonder whether we are a few months away from a, a headline about constant poetry recitals forcing Ukrainians <laughs> back across the border. <laughs> yeah, I did make them feel welcome. I was, when we were driving them back from Heathrow because they've been living in Tashkent. They've been in Uzbekistan because they'd actually left Ukraine for work before the war started and then obviously couldn't go back. And I said, what did you miss? And obviously one of the things of being in a Muslim country, Ola said, yeah, pork. So uh, the first thing they ate in the UK was two petrol station mini pork pies, which I bought them. <laughs> I said, this is a British delicacy, which is pork based. So dig in. Oh, God. <laughs> To the specific questions of our audience, then. <laughs> what's left of them? <laughs> well, what's left of them on this format? Because, of course, the way we put the question out is on Twitter, which we all know now is a dying beast. Perhaps we should be putting the question out on Mastodon. Have either of you two emigrated from Twitter yet? I've not even heard of Mastodon. I mean, I know that there's a, I think there's a, a stone and metal band that's called Mastodon. And I also know that there is obviously the the ancient creature. What, is that a new social? Oh, mate, have you not heard? Stephen Fry's left Twitter and join Mastodon My goodness. and as, as the founder of the popularity of Twitter we must all do the same well I mean Elon Musk I mean, he's just announced this morning hasn't he that you know bankruptcy is a risk because if you unleash all these tidal waves of hatred through lack of moderation and intervention and try and create this public square then understandably all the advertisers disappear because mm. they don't want to be associated with that I mean and KFC in Germany I don't know if you saw this yesterday <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they managed to tweet out have chicken and cheese to commemorate crystal now <laughs> I don't know who's responsible for that whether it's a kind of you know idiotic you know, artificial ignorance point that Mark would make about KFC's algorithm or it's Twitter just being completely pathetically inadequate in terms of its moderation but I mean talk about in poor taste yeah in every sense of the word <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. KFC and it's obviously in poor taste can we separate Elon Musk, the founder of the sort of leading electric car company in the world from the man who seems to be destroying social media? Yeah, we so say stick to rocket science, Elon. It's easier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in all walks of life, you sometimes have to separate the person from the deeds and mm. some of the deeds mm. are good and some of the deeds are not so good. And that's the same with all of us, right? Yeah, like separate the prog rock from the provocation, separate the poetry, separate the poetry from the potty mouth. <laughs> separate the comedy from the, I don't know, John, what, what are you good at? I would hope that nobody would confuse the fact that I host this podcast and sometimes do nice things with the fact that I also happen to be a shit comedian. Yeah, well, I, I did think of you the other day. I, I think I sent you the link to that story about whether you should put your loo brush in the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah. That struck me as a very John Richardson moment as, uh, you know, 
people having a debate about whether they should clean their loo brush by putting it in the dishwasher. This shows it's the end of days. Uh, yeah, I had a, a friend and uh, her boyfriend liked to, liked to use a butt plug and he used to put that in the dishwasher after they'd had sex and she found that a little bit difficult. <laughs> oh, there's so much to unpack there. You can't... That's the sort of question that you need to put on the email the day before we record a podcast. You need to say, <laughs> look, John and Ed, tomorrow I want to discuss butt plugs in the dishwasher. <laughs> I didn't know I wanted to. Sorry, that just came out. That's the sort of conversation we have. It wasn't, it's not something I pre-planned that kind of conversation. What should I talk about with John tomorrow? Oh, yeah, butt plugs in the dishwasher. One of the things it unpacks is that you have friends who do this kind of thing and also are happy to discuss it. His boyfriend did that thing. He wasn't a friend. It's all right. There's nothing wrong with butt plugs. My friend. She's no longer with that person, I think, for obvious reasons. Well, I mean, surely a clean butt plug is better than anyway. I'm going to gather my (laughs) thoughts on this. If listeners would like to get involved, then you can reach us by the usual channels and perhaps we'll do a butt plug special. Oh, God. <laughs> we'll do a butt plug special. Series four, and we are really scraping the barrel. The future of butt plugs. Yeah, it gets better and better throughout, and then right at the end, it just feels really nice to listen to. Parker says, do you think the stop oil protesters are going about things the right way? I want to side with them, but shouldn't they be affecting the major companies themselves? Well... Here's the thing. You're going to get lots of different actors doing lots of different things because that's how they're going to express themselves. And if you go back, for instance, to the civil rights movement in the 60s, you had Martin Luther King, but you also had the Black Panthers. And actually, you needed both to move things because Martin Luther King was able to go to government and kind of go, well, either you get them or you get me. And I'm a lot more reasonable. So actually, Just Stop Oil form a very useful uh, role in opening up how wide that debate can be and so people with actually quite sensible but ambitious demands from say more than mainstream begin to look a lot more reasonable to government so some of their tactics i think can be absolutely frustrating to a lot of people i was particularly struck by the guy who couldn't make it to his dad's funeral because of the protest which i thought must have been absolutely horrific Mm -hmm. but uh, when you come to a crisis you're going to get this sort of thing and to be honest we're not far off environmental terrorism i don't think so i think we have to brace ourselves for that so i don't think it's about whether they're right or wrong i think there are a natural consequence of where we've got to with climate and if we had acted sooner and better then we wouldn't have this so the real blame is not like oh just stop oil people doing things right or wrong it is like what have our governments done so badly that we've got to this stage and that's where Mm. we should be concentrating our our firepower yeah, I mean, it does refer back to that empathy point I was making earlier. And if you read people like Kim Stanley Robinson's Ministry for the Future, you know, he describes the emergence of that eco-terrorism as a result of people getting into absolutely desperate states of mind and emotion as a result of the incalcitrance of the system to respond. I mean, and in his book, you know, there are these sons and daughters of Carly who begin to take out aircraft mm-hmm. because they see this as the unforgivable element of climate change after a a kind of wet bulb heat wave, which kills 2 million people, you know? So I agree with Mark. I think all of these players serve a role in the system and the tactics may piss you off, but they're understandable. And actually we should be trying to defend the moral outrage that underpins them, even if we disagree with the tactics. I saw Suella Braverman describe their actions as a threat to uh, our way of life. And I've got to tell you, if they're threatening the way Suella Braverman goes about living our life, then they're obviously doing something right. Yeah, well, it's like, are you a member of the tofu-eating wokarati, which was her other catchphrase? Yes. Or are you a member of the sort of red meat-eating culture warriors? 
you know, again, it's false binaries because the truth lies in between. And there's a lot of very middle of the road people who are also extremely concerned about this stuff. And I think the media narrative is quite unrepresentative of where the body of feeling is in the country as well. I don't think it actually articulates and communicates that very well. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the government's own figures, if you ask people, are you concerned about climate change? I think it's something like now 78% of the British population are alarmed about climate change and think more needs to be done. So popular opinion, whether you're left or right, is very much like, come on, let's do something about this. So yeah, as ever, setting people up against each other is really cheap journalism because you don't have to understand what's going on. You just have to get people to argue and they're very good at that. I know it's not the main issue, but the sort of go-to vegan reference is always so far behind the time. Yeah. Like it was mung beans for ages. Mm. And I've never known anyone that ate mung bean. And now it's tofu. And there's such a wider range now of vegan food products available. Mm. She could have gone for like Satan worshippers or something a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> Up to date and creative. I just bought some seitan because I went to a, a vegan restaurant in Norwich the other week called the Tipsy Vegan, which is absolutely superb. And they had mac and cheese with vegan chorizo on top. Mm. And honestly, if you'd told me it was dairy mac and cheese with real chorizo, I'd have believed you. It was such a good simulacrum that you were like going, ah, who needs the meat and dairy? Amen, brother. Amen, brother. So she should have said a member of the mac and cheese eating wokarati. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm with the Satan worshippers. Now, this question from James speaks to a a conversation I have in our house on a weekly basis at the moment. James says, given the state of the UK, which of the Scandinavian countries should I aim to emigrate to as first choice? (laughs) Happy for the final decision to be swayed by the one with the best coffee. And Lucy and I have this conversation on a weekly basis. She says, I've had enough of this country. Where are we going to go? And I say, I'll go anywhere where you're not going to find exactly the same problems that you find here. Svalbard, go to Svalbard and join our friend John. <laughs> I've answered this one. Yes. It's Sweden. Is it? Yeah. Category. Category. And I'll tell you why. Because Sweden does the best pop rock metal anthems in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to be cheered up, then you can do no better than listen to a band called Treat where every song is basically a hit that you haven't heard before. It's total power pop, 80s rock metal, and they do it better than anybody else. Have you been dancing in your bedroom again? I have, and I think basically Sweden has a better soundtrack than Finland or Denmark, in in my opinion. I mean, ABBA, all of them are great, but the music, I think, from Sweden kind of swings it for me. Yeah, Finland's a bit close to Russia. They've got Aha, but you know, Aha are Apache, aren't they? They're Norwegian, aren't they? Are they? Yeah. You see, I forget. Oh, yeah. They are. You're right. They're Norwegian. <laughs> Aha. They're Norwegian. <laughs> Finland actually is mostly dark, sort of doomy metal, isn't it? You know, with bands with names that sound like IKEA furniture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They won the Eurovision, didn't they? With the monster metal. Yeah. Whatever yeah. It is. So it's definitely Sweden. It's definitely Sweden. I don't know. Sweden's gone a bit far right, though, hasn't it? It's now got... But that's why John needs to go, to bring it the other way. <laughs> the reformed Nazis in government, well, semi-reformed. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'd go Norway. I think if you were going to Norway, I'd definitely go Sweden. <laughs> it's a short hop across the border. I've done the train journey. It's very beautiful. Mm, it's very beautiful, yeah. Yeah. But Norway would suit you because there's not many people there, Ed, and, you know, you don't really like people, so so that's good. Oh! that's not true i am a deeply people person and i have lots of very good friends in norway that's probably where i would go yeah you got any mates with anal beats <laughs> otherwise you're falling behind the time i'd love to see swallow braverman bring that into a tofu eating anal bead loving woe karate <laughs> on a serious note have either of you 
found things so distressing that you've contemplated emigrating to another country? Ooh, that is a big question, isn't it? Philosophically, definitely. I'm from a climate change perspective. I also think you know, going a bit further north is not a bad idea for my kids. But practically, no, because of all my connections and family and what are here. But if I were not fortunate enough to be with my beloved and have my two kids, then I, yeah, very much possibly think about moving certainly to Scotland. I don't know if that counts as emigrating. Or maybe, yeah, Sweden or Norway. That's definitely crossed my mind. But for practical reasons, I can't. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you on Scotland. I have lived there before and loved it. Uh, I used to live up in Orkney. And so, yes, I would take the Highlands and cross the border if it wasn't for family connections and, and things that have brought me back to Norfolk. Mm. I mean, in terms of uplifting stuff, even in the kind of the teeth and the doom and gloom of COP uh, and COP27 that's happening in Egypt at the moment, you know, and the headlines this morning were saying, it's 2022 and we're still burning more fossil fuels than ever before. This is another record-breaking year, which feels like it's insane. But there's a brilliant analyst who sounds like a bakery product, Mr. Kingsmill Bond, uh, who I think just has very astute judgment. And and he's been saying, you know, like Mark was alluding to, this kind of the bumpy transition and the, the system's failing. But I mean, he just lays it out very clearly in terms of an, an age of carbon transmitting or translocating into an age of renewables. And he said, you know, that there's a reason why this feels so painful. But, you know, you're moving from a commodity-based system with geographically concentrated resources, which require a continuous material flow. They're finite. You know, the energy return on investment is falling. It relies on burning stuff. Uh, and it gives trillions of dollars to oligarchs and it concentrates all this power in one place. And the age of renewables completely flips that you know, into a sort of technology-based system where it's abundant. These resources are pretty much everywhere in some way, shape or form. The energy return on investment is rising. It's about obedient electrons rather than fiery molecules. It's very high efficiency, low impact on the natural world. And there aren't these big super profits which power authoritarian ecleptocratic regimes. So no wonder that transition is painful. Mm. <laughs> but there is, ironically, light at the end of the tunnel. But it's going to be messy. Yeah, you know, the next 30 years are going to be incredibly messy and necessarily so. And I think people have to get used to that idea. But also then within that, there's huge opportunities to do amazing stuff and get yourself on the right side of that transition because if you're fighting for the transition then you're going to have a very interesting and hopefully enjoyable time and then 30 years from now we'll look back and go that was a ride mm. that was a good career you mentioned cop there greta thunberg has stated categorically that she is not going and has no interest in it rishi sunak tried not to go how important is cop in terms of actual change and how much is it a backslapping chance for world leaders to get together and have nice dinners Oh, you've done the media thing there, John. You've <laughs> tried to say it's one thing or the other. And of course, like all these things, it's it's nuanced. Well, that would be a boring question. <laughs> How nuanced is COP? <laughs> Very. So the thing about this COP is after Glasgow, this one is much more about the nitty gritty of the stuff they kick down the road, which is all about the loss and damage. So really, this is government sitting around and having a really difficult conversation about who pays for what in the loss and damage space. The next COP, the energy COP, is the one that everybody's looking to in Dubai, where you'll see other big sort of announcements. But this is kind of like a, a mop up COP from the last one. What's happened now is that COPs are now happening annually, which wasn't happening before. So we're going to get this constant drumbeat of the news and important climate news every year, which I think is, is important. And therefore, holding people more and more to account so there's lots of good things about it there's lots of things that are crappy about it 
there's lots of unnuanced arguments about it. So lots of people say, no, there's too many fossil fuel people there. But as we've just been talking about, if you're going to do the transition, you've got to do that with some of the enlightened fossil fuel people. And there are some mm. people in that space. And it's like, if you want to transition from this massive fossil fuel economy to a renewables economy, you can't do that by not involving the people who are currently running the fossil fuel economy, obviously. But you have to, you know, how you work with them is really, really important. So I think it's important. I think it's important for some people's agendas more than others. And the people whose agendas aren't getting visited this time are going to complain about it. And uh, there'll be other people complaining about it next year so the point is everybody looks at those things to say oh what's happening over there and i always say to them what are you doing right here you know everybody's waiting for the legislature to do this or the companies to do that blah, blah blah it's like well, what are you doing with your business what are you doing with your life that is sort of what i meant by the question has it become a sort of a way for us all to say oh it's all right because they're dealing with it because there's going to be a cop every year mm. and actually it means the rest of us don't put pressure on ourselves and businesses and as you say more local activities that we could do to drive that change ourselves it's flawed it's imperfect but it's also the only multilateral game in town which hopefully brings nearly everyone to the table so it's all always going to be messy but it's also the only mechanism we've got i mean i agree with mark it's not about letting ourselves off the hook individually which is why you know i'm increasingly emphasizing in my talks this is about bridging the personal and professional it's not just what you do in your job which is absolutely critical by the way but it is also what you do in your personal life and you know i mentioned the jump last episode but i think it's campaigns like that where you get absolute clarity on what really makes a difference in your own personal life and that's the stuff that also has to happen because it delivers a big chunk of the savings required so it's, it's always both and it's not reliant on the, the global system decision making it's also the individual stuff that you do in your own home yeah i mean they all they all interface with each other i've got a rishi shunak story which is i replaced rishi shunak recently so i got this call can you replace him now <laughs> <laughs> i got this call i literally i'd flown in from boston and i got this call saying can you go and give a talk tomorrow night to a bunch of incredibly wealthy people and i said what tomorrow night so i got on the call with the people all done. I said, well, who's dropped out? Because <laughs> you know, you're leaving it a bit late to get somebody to finish your event if you're asking me today. And they went, oh, we did have Rishi Shunak, but then we kind of forgotten that he'd become prime minister, so he's not coming. <laughs> 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 but I had to go on after Raymond Blanc. And uh, fuck me, that man can talk. He's very entertaining, but he went on for hours. I love the idea of you following Raymond Blanc <laughs> uh, chat. With a rich cream and brandy sauce. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I bet there was a lot of swearing, though. What, from both of us? Yeah. Yeah, there was quite a lot. But then one of the Getty family came up to me afterwards and said, can we talk and gave me his phone number. So that was interesting. <laughs> Did he give you his phone number in the same way as the billionaire who said, I'm giving you my card, but not because I want you to contact me? No, no, no. And in fact, we've been exchanging some emails on me going to talk to the Getty family about climate change and stuff. So that's good. Well, that brings us on to our next question. We've had a very sweet email from Luca, who says, I'm a recent graduate who religiously listens to this show to nullify what seems like a pretty grim future. I'm extremely impressed by the range of guests. Being very pleased with this episode, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> While this show must gain a very large audience, do you ever consider being guests on other large media podcasts or platforms? Albeit the Joe Rogan podcast is a show run by a very 50-50 host. Recent statistics show the massive outreach he has. To summarise, would you ever explore trying to spread this message on an amplified scale? We're trying. And it's incredibly <laughs> sweet to consider that this is a plan of ours yeah. to keep this podcast under the radar. Yeah, There is a kind of a, an implicit criticism there, which is like, I like it, but come on. <laughs> yeah. So you remember when Mark thought he'd actually been on the Joe Rogan podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and then it turned out he'd actually been on Joe Marler's podcast. Yeah, indeed. indeed. You know who we are, Mark, don't you? 
I only wonder if there was any somebody like on this show who was like a lot more famous than me or you, Ed, who could kind of, you know, kind know. Of stand ambassador for these ideas and perhaps get us onto sort of <laughs> these bigger shows. You know, if any we knew somebody who was like, you know, a nationally recognised comedian or something like that, yeah. perhaps they could help. Yeah. yeah, a loved figure who's respected for his erudite perspective yeah. on the world. Yeah, if only. Anyway, well, we'll keep casting about. Maybe yeah. someone will turn up. Yeah, let's move on to the next question. <laughs> I think we'd all go on anything, wouldn't we, to publicise yes. these ideas? Yeah, pretty much. Invites welcome. What do you make of the sort of other thread of this conversation, that the rise of this idea that those voices on the right are unheard and that, you know, actually the huge audiences that are available if you simply make people feel like you're saying something unsayable at the moment? Fuck off, you cunt. <laughs> obviously that cuts both ways as well i mean i don't think any of us aspire to be like the kind of katie hopkins of sustainability do we no but i tell you what it's a sentence that's hit me harder than the anal bead revelation to be honest i'm now trying to work out what the katie hopkins of sustainability would look like it starts with you in a wig and then i have to really recalibrate my thoughts I have been known to cross-dress for events before. And for breakfast. Not usually that early in the day. What was the question? <laughs> I'm not sure. Should Ed go on I'm a Celebrity? Oh, my God. In a wig? Is that it? <laughs> uh, I can't think of anything worse. I think I find something about the animal abuse in, and I'm not talking about Matt Hancock here, but, you know, the poor spiders and scorpions and things that get chucked at these awful people. I feel sorry for them. You know. Yeah. But to your point, John, about just saying something unsayable, it's really interesting what is unsayable. Like if you walk into, say, Goldman Sachs and say shareholder value is a ridiculous idea or a stupid way to run the world, that's unsayable thing in that context. And yet I go in and do that sort of thing all the time. So it's what's unsayable in what context. I keep coming back to John Alexander's point, which is if you engage with people in a trivial way, you'll get trivial engagement back. And a lot of that stuff is just, you know, noise and light or whatever. And actually you can ignore a whole bunch of it and actually nothing changes. You know, there's a great cartoon of <laughs> some bloke chatting to his wife who's off to bed saying, I'll be up in a few hours, darling, but there's somebody on the internet who's wrong. <laughs> you know, you can ignore an awful lot of it and get on with, with actually doing stuff. You know, I don't think we need to worry too much about a lot of that some of the time. We could get obsessed with somebody making a lot of heat and light over there, but they disappear quite quickly. Mm. And it's the consistent people, you know, like Ed and John Elkington and Christiana Figueres and you know, all the sort of people that we know are doing amazing work in climate, you know, and other spaces that you need to align yourself with and work with day in day out you just said something nice about me and put me in very good company i feel quite humble i apologize i take it all back <laughs> you also talked about people generating heat and light which allows me the opportunity for one of the slickest links i've ever done in broadcasting <sighs> and it leads to a question from vicky what can leisure centers do at the moment to save on their energy bills see what i've done there would have been slick if you yeah. had mentioned that it was slick because you kind of undermined its slickness by pointing out that it was going to be slick didn't you yeah, oh i don't mind if i was a footballer who scored an overhead kick i would just go straight down the tunnel and retire immediately <laughs> <laughs> i just want to do one good thing in my life and then stop that's all i want i'm just looking for something to leave the room on so you haven't done that gig yet then absolutely not not on this tour anyway tickets still available it's a very specific question that isn't it well do you think she works at a leisure center she says uh, so many swimming pools are closing down so what can be done 
we've focused on libraries in the past in the sort of national narrative, but I, I haven't heard this conversation about swimming pools. Turn the temperature down. I mean, I know we've got to have the pools slightly heated, but, you know, cold water swimming is an amazing thing and people do it all year round. So perhaps those pools don't need to be heated to 20 plus degrees. And we can all tolerate a slightly more refreshing dip. I mean, you know, people are out in outdoor unheated lidos and jumping in seas and rivers all the time. I would say in the short term, we just need to probably just turn down the dial. No, absolutely not. No. <laughs> oh, I'm going to fundamentally disagree with you here because the thing I hate the most is getting to a cold fucking swimming pool. It's because you're a wuss. It's because you're a wuss. I am a complete wuss. But actually, what's, you know, as we should do is step back and think more systemically, right? So, for instance, in the UK, we've mentioned this before, we spend £14 billion a year on diabetes care. And a lot of that is down to people having unhealthy lifestyles. What we should be doing is funneling a whole bunch of that money, if we can, into people exercising more and having better diets. And some of that should be funding swimming pools and getting people into them and keeping them at a decent temperature. Ed. So to say, you know, what can swimming pools do? Well, that's a victim of a system that had the wrong priorities in that, you know, we have a sick care system, not a health care system. And what we need to do is have a new narrative about where our sports centres and our leisure centres are part of our healthcare system as opposed to us propping up this ridiculous sick care system where apparently it's a good idea to build 40 new hospitals even if that's a lie because obviously loads of us are getting more sick how is that an admission of doing something brilliant yeah. you shouldn't be getting on in the first place yeah what does Wim Hof know hey I like both your answers I do think that it should fall under the banner of the health service but also have either of you ever had cryogenic therapy where you get frozen to a very cold temperature <laughs> what that's a solid well you go into like what is it minus 70 or something in a pair of underpants and gloves for about three minutes and then you come out again no but, but that's what i was alluding to vim hoff you know the ice man yeah because obviously he's all about mind over matter and the benefits and lucy cook who we interviewed on the topia special she said the thing that kept her sane was cold water swimming because it is totally exhilarating absolutely i felt euphoric after i had yeah it. exactly did you yeah I, and lucy genuinely believed because the, the theory is it sort of kickstarts your immune system your body feels it's sort of under attack so every cell and synapse gets fired up Mm. I had it about two or three years ago, and she's convinced it's made me less ill. Wow. Or ill less often. Well, a cold shower to start the day. I mean, you know, that's part of the Wim Hof thing is that you get in your shower, you start it hot, and then you slam it on cold for the last minute or two, and it has a similar effect. Yeah, I haven't done that. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to go that far. No, you'd rather go to a very expensive, intensive cryogenic therapy. (laughs) This is the difference, Ed, between John, celebrity, and us. We're like, quick cold shower. John's like, oh, yeah, cryogenic therapy, man, yeah. Well, it's more about what somebody tells me I have to do and what I do for myself. I'm not strong enough to turn that down. I think about it every day. Let's quickly, because time is short, thank you for all your emails and comments on previous episodes. They come in a lot where people have listened to old episodes and come in with new questions. We do uh, read them all. Adam says, and this speaks to a conversation we've had on a previous episode, what do you make of Elon Musk ordering all Twitter employees back to the office, no more working from home? What is the environmental impact? And more generally, isn't working from home a good thing for the planet? And ourselves, we've had this conversation a lot, haven't we? And I thought we'd decided that working from home led people to work harder, be able to fit their jobs more around their personal lives and therefore feel more fulfilled and be happier. What do you make of Elon Musk's decision to ban that? I think he's been a bit of a cock. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back with episode three. Now, I mean, the thing is, I think it's, you often see this in a lot of leaders and people who get into a certain position of power. At some point, their leadership style becomes autobiography. So what has worked for them, they now think because they're in power, should work for everybody mm. else. 
It's a bit like, you know, when you get people who become schools minister or education minister, they start to think that the schooling they had, which was usually some kind of posh private school, should be what everybody else has. And they try to recreate a set of values within that because it worked for them. Elon Musk is clearly a guy who likes to go to the office, likes to be there, likes to be in the place, you know, because he had a very traumatic childhood as well. And it's, you know, he's got an interesting past. So, so it works for him. So in his mind, that's the way you're most productive. That's how you get stuff done because you turn up at the office. It's not the same for everybody else, but I think his leadership style is like many people becoming autobiography. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. As a presenteeism, I mean, Musk was famous for sort of sleeping in the Tesla factories, you know, never even going home at all. Mm. So I think if you get that sort of workaholic mentality, it can be very unhealthy for a whole organizational culture. What about you, John? I mean, have you ever thought about doing some of your gigs from home? You can now. ABBA have shown that you can make a hologram of yourself. I could do an entire national tour in one night by simply hiring out some theatre venues, putting in some hologram technology and just stand in my front room doing a gig. But it would rather reduce the impact. I like getting out and about, to be honest. I'll inflict my hologram demo on you at some point. Have you got one? I think I mentioned it last week, but I'm, it got postponed, but I'm doing it next Friday. Oh, of course you are. Yes. I will share that for posterity. Excellent. Great. Could you send that around to my house when you come around? Because then there'll be some wine left at the end of the evening. If you're sure. <laughs> you made the same joke last week, darling. I'll bring my own wine. <laughs> will you bring the cider? Uh, I'll bring the cider. I've got plenty. <laughs> I am the cider provider. It's nice to end with the personal. We began with the personal. We'll end with it. Naomi says, what is the best way to dry your clothes at the moment? Do briefly put your heating on, use a heated area, stick it in front of a log burner and light that, put it next to open windows, invest in a pulley ceiling mounted dryer or run extra spin cycles. Outside is no longer an option. Well, I mean, I've had a ceiling mounted Victorian drying rack in my old flat in Brixton for 20 years. And the first thing I did when I moved into my new house in Norfolk was put one in because they work you know the ceiling is where all the warm air is and yeah they're fantastic and so you, you never need to switch a bloody tumble dryer on i never understood this it's one of those asking the wrong questions and getting the wrong answer i remember speaking at an event where people say well you know what about the cost of tumble dryers it's like just get a drying rack it'll cost you about 50 quid and then you'll never have to have an energy bill for your drying again yeah but then you get pants falling on your head hey there's other benefits too <laughs> <laughs> you say it a lot all about asking the right questions and i tell you what of all the podcast episodes we've ever done this has asked more questions than it has answered so we'll be back excitingly with episode three in the near future to discuss ed as a hologram and the correct way to wash your anal beads and if that doesn't get you coming back then frankly i don't know what will Thank you, gentlemen, for your company. Thank you for all your questions. Keep them coming in on email and by social media. And here's how you can do that. You can reach us by email at hello at johnandthefuturenauts.com. That's hello at john, J-O-N, and the futurenauts, all one word, dot com. We have our own show Twitter account, which is at J and the F. And of course, you can reach us individually on Twitter too. I am at Ron Richardson, John Richardson with the first letter swapped around. That's what I've done there. And you can reach Ed and Mark at the following. I'm Ed Gillespie at Frucool, which is at F-R-U-C-O-O-L. And I'm Mark Stevenson, and you can find me at Optimist on Tour. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Mark and Ed. Where are you going now, Mark? You're going to rehearse. I'm going to rehearse and also my new carbon removals business is going through the roof. So I'm off to have a chat with a major international city about doing carbon removals for them. So that's me today. Good luck in Swindon and Ed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what am I doing? I'm going to Dublin to talk to the Irish Tourist Board about climate. All right, then.
Are you flying? I am. Unfortunately, this is perverse. But this is a good sign, I think. But I'm having to get on a bloody Ryanair plane oh, because God. the ferry was sold out. I couldn't get a ticket to go by boat. I had exactly the same problem on the Isle of Man recently on tour. Yeah, it's just I couldn't get a booking on the boat. So I am going to get on a plane and I'm going to own it. First thing I'm going to say on stage is I... Well, you know, I take this as a shift because the fact that you can get a plane ticket but you can't get a boat ticket is probably a good sign. Yeah, I guess. Well, if you want your carbon removed, you know where to come. I do, I do. Where are you going to stick it? Can I insert it somewhere? (laughs) I'm going to turn it into a set of anal beads. (laughs) Made out of graphite. (laughs) Oh, my God. I think that's a real thing, you know. Is there a way you can turn the carbon into... Yeah. Sex toys. Climate saving. You can take your emissions and shove them up your ass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <With Mark Stevenson. laughs> i know a few people i would like to do that for <laughs> absolutely you imagine taking an oil company ceo and say here's your emissions this may be smart a bit <laughs> to all the people who've emailed asking for a ray of hope let it be that that if you start these dialogues, you can end up with the image of carbon-based anal beads being put up the anus of whoever you choose to picture. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>